Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, Rest a While. It's based upon the lectionary readings for July 22, 2018. I'm especially grateful for the lectionary this week because it offers a portrait of Jesus I rarely consider. When I read the Gospels, I tend to envision a brisk and efficient Jesus, full of purpose but short on time, striding from village to synagogue to hilltop to seaside, a whirlwind of miracles, parables, and life-changing conversations swirling around him. In fact, for most of my life, I have regarded Jesus as a severe type A workaholic, a superhero striving to save the world before his clock runs down. But a breathless zealot is not who emerges from this week's gospel reading. Instead, we find a Jesus who recognizes, honors, and tends to his own tiredness. We encounter a teacher who notices his disciples' exhaustion and responds with tenderness. We find a savior who probes below the surfaces of our frantic, productive lives and pinpoints the hungers our work-obsessed culture won't allow us to name. The hunger for space, reflection, solitude, and rest. Having spent several days now with Il's lectionary, I wonder if the striving, hurrying Jesus I usually think of is really Jesus at all. Maybe he's a distorted mirror image of me, my own busyness, my own long-held dread of wasting time. Maybe he's a pseudo-god I use to excuse my own lifestyle. The lection is an odd one this week, a disjointed cut-and-paste job that brackets Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 to focus on the seemingly less spectacular events that precede and follow it. Mark 6, 30-34 describes the return of the disciples from their first ministry tour, their inauguration into apostleship. Exhilarated and exhausted, they have stories to tell Jesus, thrilling stories of healings, exorcisms, and effective evangelistic campaigns. But Jesus senses that there are darker stories in the mix as well, stories of failure and rejection perhaps, stories of doubt, hard stories they need to process privately with their teacher. Whatever the case, Jesus recognizes that the disciples need a break. They're tired, overstimulated, underfed, and in significant need of solitude. Jesus, meanwhile, is not in top form himself. He has just lost John the Baptist, his beloved cousin and prophet, the one who baptized him and spent a lifetime in the wilderness preparing his way. Worse, Jesus has lost him to murder, a terrifying reminder that God's beloved are not immune to violent, senseless deaths. Maybe Jesus' own end feels closer, and his own vocation seems more ominous. In other words, he has many reasons to feel heartbroken. Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while, he says to his disciples, as the crowds throng around them at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Come away with me, is how another translation puts it, and I hear both tenderness and longing in those words. Jesus wants to provide a time of rest and recuperation for his friends, but he's weary himself. The hunger he articulates is his own. Lesson one for me, pay more attention to the throwaway passage in the Gospels, those little transition verses which often precede or follow the main events of Jesus' life story. Passages like Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Or Mark 11.12, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Or Matthew 8.24, Jesus was sleeping. Or Mark 7.24, he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in. 
In these minor verses, I see essential glimpses of Jesus' human life, his need to withdraw, his need for solitary prayer, his physical hunger, his sleepiness, his inclination to hide. These glimpses take nothing away from Jesus' divinity. They enhance it, making it richer and all the more mysterious. They remind me that the doctrine of the Incarnation truly is Christianity's best gift to the world. God, the God of the whole universe, hungers, sleeps, eats, rests, withdraws, and grieves. In all of these mundane but crucial ways, our God is like us. Our God rests. Of course, this lesson isn't new. It runs through scripture from its earliest pages. In Genesis, God rested on the seventh day and called the Sabbath holy. Honoring this is no small feat in our 21st century lives, where every hour of every day is measured in profits gained or advantages lost. For me, rest never comes naturally. I forget about it, I fear it, I resist it. To remember that God rested, that Jesus rested, is to be both startled and humbled. How dare I claim not to need a break when Christ himself took one? The Sabbath is the only thing in the creation account that God called holy. We would do well to pay attention. But returning to the gospel, Jesus is also like us in that sometimes his best laid plans to find rest go awry. According to St. Mark, Jesus' retreat by boat idea fails. The crowds anticipate his plan and follow on foot. By the time he and his disciples reach their longed-for destination, the crowds are waiting, and the quiet sanctuary Jesus seeks is nowhere to be found. Does Jesus run? Does he turn the boat around and sail away? No. As Mark puts it, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The second half of this week's lection essentially offers a repeat of the first. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000 over, Jesus once again insists the disciples get back in the boat and sail away. Vacation attempt, take two. But once again, according to Mark 53-56, to the crowds anticipate Jesus' plan and word of his whereabouts spreads. As soon as the boat lands at Gennesaret, the crowds go wild, pushing and jostling to get close to Jesus. They carry their sick to him on mats. In every village and city Jesus approaches, swarms of people needing healing line the marketplaces. They press against him, they plead, they beg to touch the fringe of his robe and receive healing. Jesus' response? Once again, his response is compassion. All who touched him were healed. In some ways, I envy Jesus the stark acuity of such need. Here, in my cozy middle-class American life, it's too easy to pass the buck on compassion. Whether I'm looking at the needs of my own family, my seemingly self-sufficient neighbors, or the wider community, it's tempting to tell myself that nothing urgent is at stake. Everything can wait. After all, I'm not the last stop, am I? Not much depends on me. Or does it? I think this week's Gospel reading is about the ongoing and necessary tension between compassion and self-protection. And the great lesson for us is that Jesus lived with this tension, too. On the one hand, he was unapologetic about his need for rest and solitude. He saw no shame in retreating when he and his disciples needed a break. On the other hand, he never allowed his weariness to blunt his compassion. Unlike me, he realized that he was the last stop for those aching, desperate crowds, those sheep without a shepherd. Unlike me, he practiced a kind of balance that allowed his love for others, his own inner hungers, and the urgency of the world's needs to exist in productive tension. Is there a lesson here? I'm not sure. Strive for balance, recognize weariness when you feel it, don't apologize for being human, take breaks. Yes, 
all of those essential things. But maybe also, and most importantly, this. We live in a world of dire and constant need. Sheep die without their shepherds. There are stakes, and sometimes what God demands of our hearts is costly. While balance remains the ideal, it won't always be available in the short term. Sometimes we will have to err. We'll have to bend out of balance. If that happens, what should we do? In what direction should we bend? If this week's gospel story is our example, then the answer is clear. Seek rest, of course, but err on the side of compassion. Jesus did. For books this week, we review Just a Journalist by Linda Greenhouse. In our age of fake news, post-truth, and media like Breitbart that retail partisan viewpoints as neutral facts, what does it mean for journalists today to remain objective and neutral? By the time Linda Greenhouse retired in 2009, she had spent 40 years at the New York Times thinking about these sorts of questions. For 30 years, she covered the Supreme Court, for which work she won a Pulitzer Prize in 1998. In these autobiographical reflections, which began as a series of lectures at Harvard in 2015, she reflects on how journalistic ethics and responsibilities have changed in her lifetime. In earlier generations, most everyone agreed that good journalism meant being fair and balanced, of always presenting both sides of an issue. Strict impartiality was the ethical expectation and holy grail of the profession. Under no circumstance was a journalist allowed to express their personal opinion. Even the appearance of a conflict of interest was strictly forbidden. Leonard Downey, the highly principled managing editor of the Washington Post, even considered it unethical for a journalist to vote. These old norms sound good, says Greenhouse, and she grew up as a journalist working under them. But she vigorously disagrees with them now, especially in our new political reality. Most people think that our president lies on a regular basis, but Greenhouse explains how shocking it was when the New York Times first called Trump a liar in print. And after all, this is a president who is proud to say that he has declared war on the media, which he considers the opposition party and the enemy of the American people. He has called political reporters dishonest, disgusting, slime, scum, and the worst types of human beings on earth. For Greenhouse, journalists should aim not for detached objectivity, but instead sound judgment that empowers readers and informed citizenry. Waterboarding, in her view, is torture, plain and simple, and not some benign euphemism like enhanced interrogation. Journalists, she says, have a civic obligation to tell the truth and can even become complicit when they don't. At least some stories don't have two equal sides, false equivalents. In her view, Daniel Okrent, the first public editor of the New York Times, gets it right. The pursuit of balance can create imbalance because sometimes something is true. For movies this week, Dan reviews Faces, Places. In this intergenerational version of the classic road trip, the filmmaker Agnes Varda, born in 1928, and the French photographer muralist known as J.R., born 1983, travel through rural France in a van that's equipped with a photo booth and create portraits of the everyday people that they encounter. This special photographic equipment spits out a huge picture of the person instantaneously, perhaps three feet by four feet, like an old Polaroid Instamatic. That photo is then greatly enlarged and pasted on the side of the large building, wall, water tower, etc., there's a farmer plastered on the side of his barn, coal miners displayed on their row houses in a nearly deserted village, and three wives of dock workers on a gigantic stack of shipping containers. We meet a mailman, factory workers, and a bell ringer. I passed on the love of bells to my sons, and even J.R.'s hundred-year-old grandmother, all of whom share memories and stories. Each face tells a story, says Varda. 
This is a cinematic version of The Ordinary made sacred in the hands of talented artists. Faces Places won the award for the Best Documentary at the 2017 Cannes Festival and was nominated for Best Documentary at the 2018 Academy Awards. And when was the last time you watched a film that received a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes? In French with English subtitles. Dan watched this film on a Netflix DVD. And finally for poems this week, Sabbath by Wendell Berry. The mind that comes to rest is tended in ways that it cannot intend, is born, preserved, and comprehended by what it cannot comprehend. Your Sabbath, Lord, thus keeps us by your will, not ours, and it is fit our only choice should be to die into that rest or out of it. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for July 22nd, 2018. I'm Debbie Thomas.